Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Pat grew up in Connecticut. He worked his way through restaurant jobs from an early age. He went to college, changed courses, and went to the French Culinary Institute and opened his acclaimed restaurant, Bar Sugo, after a life spent in the Northeast. And he and his family made their way down tier to Atlanta and landed at The Optimist, and pasta ever in his mind. Come 2018, he opened the White Bull Indicator, which has continued to steal hearts and appetites through pasta. And now he and his team are working on opening Grana in Piedmont Heights. So there's a quick synopsis, but it barely tells the half of it. Pat's whole story is incredible and packed with jaw-dropping moments. And plus, Pat is just a fun guy to chat with. And, uh, you know, he really needs his own podcast. But you're going to love this episode. So here he is, Chef Pat Pascarella of The White Bull and Grana. Do you remember the first time you made pasta? I do, yeah. Yeah, how old were you? Yeah, I was uh I was like 6, 7. Wow. Yeah, it was fun. I did it with my grandmother. We did mm-hmm. cavatelli and she did it on the back of the fork. And oh, wow. I was like, and it was so funny cuz like I still remember it to this day. Like I'm watching her make it and I'm like there's got to be an easier way. This was me like my whole life. I was like there's got to be an easier way. Now like Fast forward, I'm in culinary school, mm-hmm. and we're in uh, we're making puff pastry, and I go to my <laughs> I go to my chef. I'm like, chef, you know you could buy this stuff, right? And he's like, he's like, no, no, but you got to learn how to make it. So we had a, a cooking. It was like a cooking competition, like in the school, and like we had to make you had to make a tomato tart, a peach tart, and a banana tart. And I was done in like 25 minutes because I brought some from the restaurant. Oh, in, look at you! And I was like, I hit it all, and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta make. This. I was like, I'm gonna win, and like I make it, and the chef eats it, and he's like, oh, he's like, how did you do it so fast? I was like, yeah, hey, I made it yesterday, and he tastes like this is fantastic. I was like, it's store bought. Wow. And I didn't make it. I was like, and you can't even tell the difference. You were just ready to ruffle some well, feathers. You know what it was? You? It was like, it was like, <laughs> I don't know. I was like, I always try to find a way to be more efficient, you know? So yeah, like, yeah. But then funny, right? Because now you fast forward to White Bull. And like we brought it all the way back to the point where like some of our pastas made with a rolling pin and like I, I eliminated the machines and like it went back. I just look at it as like if you're going to do it and you're going to do it right, then, you know, it's like it, it's like respect to my grandmother. Like she's gone now, but like doing it that way on the back of the fork, using those like really antique boards that were given to me when I was like 11, 12 years old. I had no mm-hmm. idea what the hell to do with them. They were just sitting in my closet until I moved to Atlanta and I found them and I'm like, Oh, that's what they're for. And then I yeah. started making pasta when I got here and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I wanted that to be like the first question I asked yeah. you because, you know, I, I, I bake and yeah. I will always remember the first time I tried to make croissant by hand. And that was also the last time yeah. that I tried to make croissant by hand. But the first time that I made pasta, I remember sitting in the counter with my mother and, uh, I was probably about the same age as you, you know, yeah. like, you know, here's a fork, you know, making yeah. the well, cracking yeah. the eggs, pinch of salt, like tablespoon of water and then i was like this is really really hard but then we had like the crank pasta yeah, machine yeah. i was like all right this is super fun yeah and, um but uh before we get any further pat pascarella from yeah. the white bowl and soon to be grana welcome to the atlanta Foodcast, man. thank you thanks for having yeah. me yeah am i saying your last name right pascarella okay yeah. cool I, I get really i was like is that a soft double l <laughs> am i saying that right i get a lot of anxiety about people's last You're names good, man. You're good. yeah because my name is gets like it's so guttural and like you know European, you yeah. know, and, but like not in a pretty way. Everyone's like, is it Geats? I'm like, where are you from, dude? Like, <laughs> where are you no. getting that? Yeah, I was like, where, <laughs> read a book, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I'm really excited to sit with you, man. This is super same, cool. Man, I've I've been I've been here. I've been we're sitting at the White Bowl right now. So I've been here um and uh it's it's been really it's been really fun to to see how much Decatur dining has changed. Oh yeah. And um and how many years has it been since you guys opened? Oh, we opened March 5th, 2018. So we're about oh, to wow. be I think yeah. it's like 16 months yeah yeah Michael, 16 months yeah and um i mean the the first time that i that i came here you know it was uh it was drinks and pasta I mean, yeah and that's um it seems really simple but yeah. you know at the same time like there's a lot to unpack you know and how you guys are actually doing the menu here oh yeah and uh you know and you guys have another restaurant that's opening over in piedmont heights Piedmont's. and um there's a lot happening in your life right now oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. um we're sitting with the person responsible for a part of that Absolutely. so um but before we get into a lot of what's happening now i want to get to know you just a little bit yeah. and hear some more of your story so you get the first question that all well this is your like, second question yeah. but um but tell me who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or oh, she man so so i had i was i was lucky man so for for us and our family so it was weird so growing up we looked up to our, my grandfather, right? He was like the rock of the family, but that guy couldn't cook worth of anything like at mm-hmm. all. So my grandmother was the rock in the kitchen, you know, and like everything happened around the kitchen table, like business ideas happened around the kitchen table. Literally every single thing in my family happened around that table. Like, you know, if, if you were talking about, uh, you know, politics, anything always happened around that kitchen table. It was always around my grandparents table. And then we would all play cards and everything like that. That's why to this day, I still have a tattoo of my grandfather and it's a, it's a old Italian card that's on my leg and it's this fedora on top of it. So nice. first person ever cooked for my grandmother, <clears throat> she passed away. It was like five years ago, but, uh, she was very heavy on the salt, heavy on the oil. So like it was weird, uh, transitioning then. So basically my grandparents raised me for a long time because my mom and dad just worked. Like they got here when they were, my parents were 19, got married right away and then just went to work. Literally had, had, had my, my brother and then had me right away, waited 10 years at my sister, but had us right away. And then they just worked every single day. Like my father, like had a plan. He's like, I'm showing up to America. He's like every, every year it, it it gets less and less how much he showed up with, with in his pocket. So like when he first, when he first started talking, it was like a hundred bucks. And like last week we were talking, he goes, I came to America $7. I'm like, you didn't, you're full of crap. (laughs) It's seven dollars. Like the fish like, gets yeah. bigger and the amount of money like, gets smaller. Yeah, I'm like, come on, dude. Yep. So, um, <laughs> so we're talking the other day, and he's like, telling me that he's like seven bucks, and he's like, but he's now he owns like he owns a bunch of houses, you know, and he just worked. He worked really hard. He made sure that like whatever he did, he did for. He says he does for his kids. We'll see. <laughs> I told him I was like, give that shit away. Yeah. I was like, I don't want it. I was like, I don't need it. I was like, give it to give it to my brother and my sister. I was like, I really don't want. It. I was like, give me the house in Italy. Mm-hmm. I want my grandmother's house in Italy. That's what I want. I was like, it's worth nothing. It's a shack in the middle of a farm. I was like, give me that. Yeah, I don't perfect. want anything else. Yeah, I was like, I'll retire there, making pasta, smoking Marlboro Reds, even though I don't smoke, and mm-hmm. just drinking really crappy red wine. You're gonna start that's smoking. My, yeah, that's it. That's my retirement. <laughs> What's your plans? Well, I really want to start smoking. <laughs> yeah, I really want to start smoking. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, go against the status quo. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my grandmother uh, cooked all the time, whether it was like. You know, she tried to be American so bad. So I was like a piece of toast with some jelly on it. I was like, I was like, no, no. I was like, what is this? I was like, I don't, we don't eat this. I was like, this doesn't exist. And she's like, I remember the first day she made me tea. I was like, what are you doing? I was like, it's espresso. I've been drinking espresso since I was like four years old. Oh, wow. Like she literally used to mix it into the bottle. I kid you not. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah. So she was cook. And then, I mean, like she was super Southern with her cooking, like almost Sicilian. And we're from Naples. So like a lot of raisins involved in her cooking, hmm. a lot of pine nuts, super super parmigiani slash uh like a lot of basil a lot of parsley like super aromatic Mm -hmm. and then it's funny because like when i remember my mom cooking for me all of that homemade stuff kind of went out the door so like 
we didn't really see much homemade pasta growing up with my mom because they were busy. They worked all the time. So my mom's like, I'm buying a cheap Ronzoni. I was like, why don't we try Barilla? She's like, it's crap. I'm like, no, it's really not. She's like, it's, it's too expensive. Buy the cheap stuff. So it was funny, like watching how that happened. Like, I mean, still to this day, like my mom buys her meat at Walmart. I'm like, huh. Ma, what are you doing? I was like, what about the butcher? She goes, too expensive. So they just went from that mentality of like, we make everything, we make everything too. Let's just buy whatever's the cheapest and I'll make it taste good. Mm -hmm. And that was my mom's thing. So like, I remember like, God, I mean, we would go to Arthur Avenue in the Bronx every once in a while. Like we didn't really do much of that. I, like I was, I was, I grew up very different than like a lot of people from New York City, like New York City, Connecticut. They have that. I call them Bronx Italian. None of them could speak Italian. And they're all like, hey, oh, Goomba, Gabagool. They talk like that. Where like I was I grew up like speaking real Italian and like eating real Italian food. So it was like a lot different, uh, yeah. you know. So like sometimes when they're like, hey, you're an Italian restaurant, do you have chicken parm on the menu? I'm like, no, dude, that doesn't exist in Italy mm -hmm. at all. You know, it may exist at Grana when we open Grana because I may do like a spin on it, but mm -hmm. like it doesn't exist. Yeah. People so, from Buckhead are going to come down and be like, dude, where's my chicken parm? Dude, Pat? where's the parm, man? Yeah. You know, where's the gabagool? Yeah. You don't got that mo that mozzarella. Uh, like, no, uh, that yeah. mozzarella. Yeah. Looking yeah. through the menu and I don't see the gabagool on the menu. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, that on a, is that on a different <laughs> Does menu? Does that not exist? <laughs> yeah. Get so, out of my restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> So we, I mean, we, we grew up eating and then like every once in a while my dad would cook and like me and my brother and my sister would like love when my father cooked. Like my mom was very, very chintzy on our salt and her seasoning. Hmm. So my grandmother and grandfather, like they had like high blood pressure. So like she would just always cook for them, even though they were never home, like at that, our house. I'm like, ma, put some salt. Mm -hmm. They invented this new thing. It's called salt. You mm -hmm. might want to go pick up a box, you know? And then like, you know, and like I, I would like, I, until still to this day, like I'll show up to her house with like a, like a a pouch full of Florida cell and I'll just throw it on my own stuff. Cause mm -hmm. I'm like, I know it's not going to be seasoned. Yeah. Um, and then like, so my father would cook and he would do like the same thing all the time. Super salty, like fried potato. My father believes in grease, literally. Like mm -hmm. he just wants to cook everything in fat. Yeah. That's it. It was never called olive oil. No. When we grew up, everything was just grease. <laughs> That's it. And it was dude. always it next was to the stove. You'd find yeah. it on your ceiling tiles in totally. the basement. Yeah. It was, it you could still horrible. use it off your yeah. ceiling tiles. Yeah. You scrape it off. Yeah. We use it again. It's good. <laughs> um, so like we, he would do fried potatoes and he would do this thing that I, we, we put it on the menu every once in a while here. He would like stew like peppers and eggplant for like an hour in like the littlest amount of tomato sauce with tons of garlic and then literally serve like four loaves of bread with it. And you wouldn't be able to leave the table until it was all gone because it was literally that good. That sounds incredible. It was actually. amazing. It yeah. was amazing. So like every once in a while, now he cooks, but like he recently last year had like a minor heart attack. So now you're like, mm. you, you, you call him. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like grilling chicken. I was like, can I talk to my father? Because mm -hmm. you don't grow chicken. <laughs> you don't even know how to turn a grill on, dude. Like, what are you talking about? Oh, he man. goes, yeah, I'm grilling chicken. I was like, what'd you have for lunch? He goes, a salad. I was like, what happened to you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what happened? He quit smoking. Thank God, man. Oh, wow. But like, yeah, it was now like life altering. Yeah, I know. Now I'm going to pick it up You're going to start smoking. It's going to be We're great. Good. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. It's moved to Italy. Started smoking. Yeah. It's like, you're yeah. going backwards. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. This is me going forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't worry. It's I've got a plan. I've got a plan. But yeah, that was basically like, that's how I grew up. Like it was, it all started with my grandmother. Transitioned into my mom. And then it wasn't until like, I think I became like 13 or 14 years old where I kind of just started cooking for myself and then like started going back and like you know buying better ingredients and things like that and trying to figure that out and then like really became like super anal about like my my dad's garden and how he grew things like i grew up around a garden my whole life like i never had to pay for a fig a zucchini flower a squash blossom or basil my entire life mm. until i moved to atlanta and it broke my heart yeah i'm like what do you mean i've got this two bucks for yeah. a fig are you out of your mind you yeah. know i was like i remember when i was at when i was at the optimist it was like we bought squash blossoms and we were stuffing them. I think we did crab and something else. 
And they're like, oh, yeah, they're 75 cents each. I was like, no, you're kidding. And they're like, no, 75 cents. I was like, no, I'm not paying 75 cents each. Yeah. I was like, you'll give me, you'll give me like a thousand of these for like 20 bucks. Yeah. You should That's be trying to get work. rid of these. Like, yeah. they grow rampant. Yeah. yeah. Squash is not difficult yeah. to grow. So it was, it was pretty great. It was like, it was like a culture shock, like having yeah. to pay for basil. I'm like, totally. Dude, they grow like weeds, man. Yeah. Come on. I know. If, if people don't grow, if you don't grow your own, I'm, I'm talking to you who you yeah. do not grow basil. Basil's really easy to yeah, grow. Man. If anything, it doesn't need a lot of water and you just kind of leave it. it. Leave it alone. Go, go on vacation. You come back and you're like, look at all yeah. the shitload of basil now. Yeah. You never have to buy it again. It's no. like three bucks at Publix. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, so you grew up in the Northeast. Yeah. So you grew up in New York. Connecticut, New yeah. York. Connecticut and New York. Mm-hmm. So you started cooking at a pretty early age. So yeah. I was, I mean, I was cooking with, I cooked with my parents and I cooked with my grandmother very young. And then I didn't start like cooking professionally till I was 15. Mm-hmm. I, I got my first job washing dishes when I was like 14, 14 and a half, something like that. Yeah. 14, 14 and a half. Um, I got paid 50 bucks a shift and an order of fried calamari because I loved fried calamari. That's actually a pretty good it was deal. A great deal, dude. It was like, how it long was, was your was 20 shift? years ago. It was like four hours. It was fantastic. Dude, washing dishes? Dude, I like, you don't understand, man. I crushed it yeah. as a kid, man. I, dude, I, I mean, like the, I've only had <laughs> Best a dishwasher in the game. I tell the, I still tell the staff that now. Yeah, I've, I've only worked in five restaurants in my life yeah. and you know, when I would start, you know, or like at the end of the shift or something like that, washing dishes, like you're just methodical. That's it. Especially yeah. when there's a giant Hobart and you're like, yeah. it's just in and out, yeah, in and out, it. in and out. And you're like, I am just destroying yeah, this. Yeah. And it, it, it's very empowering. Yeah. So I actually really like washing dishes. So, still. Yeah. so my, my boss would get upset because I was so focused on the kitchen and really not focused on the dishes. Like the room, the dish room was like a three by three foot area <laughs> with just the machine and you. Yeah. That's it. So I would just let plates stack until as high as it could possibly go. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm done watching. Let me get, let me get ahead on this. And then like bang that out real quick and then go back to watching to a point where he was just getting so annoyed. He's like, dude, you're a horrible dishwasher. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm fantastic. There's never <laughs> anything there at the end of the night. I'm like, I don't know what you, you don't know what you're talking about. I was, he's like, you want to be in the kitchen? And I was like, I really do. I really want to be in the kitchen. So to punish me, he made me a bus boy mm. first. And I was only a bus boy for like four, like literally like four weeks maybe because thank God one of the guys in the kitchen went down. I mean, thank God he's saying that now, but like <laughs> he went down literally like I forgot what happened when he got hurt and uh, I'm like, I'll work. And he's like, you don't know how to do anything. I was like, dude, I can make a badass Caesar salad. And he goes, how do you know? I was like, cause I watch you do it all day. So I would like watch him do it. And then uh, I, I would do, so I was only on Caesar salad and mixed green salad duty. That was my job for like four days. And he's like, all right, you're going to start learning how to cook. I was like, okay. And then like, it was funny. So like 15 to 16, when you first start cooking it, and it was like probably the best restaurant in Stanford, Connecticut at that point. And you just got super cocky. Like I got really cocky. I'm like, I could do this. I could do that. I'm like, nobody's better than me. And then it was just like, once you start, and then people come in and be like, Hey, do you know how to do this? And I'm like, what? They're like, do you know how to do that? I was like, what is that? And like, I didn't know what a tartar was. I had no mm-hmm. idea what any of that stuff was. And I was like, oh man, I better start studying. So like, and then I just from literally from 16, to like 19 all i did was just go home and buy cookbooks and then just like study them i'm just like what the hell are people doing like oh man that's really cool and just start doing them there Mm -hmm. and then realizing that like why is a salmon tartare not selling in a mom and pop italian restaurant like people wouldn't have no idea what it is so they wouldn't buy it you know it was like it was caprese or parmesan and that's it there was nothing else they wouldn't you couldn't sell anything else (laughs) and it was like mind-boggling to me i'm like come on man see what wolfgang puck's doing there over there in in california why is it not selling here (laughs) So smoke salmon on pizza, yeah, guys. Come on. Creme yeah. fraiche. Yeah. yeah. Smoke duck. Let's yeah. do this. Totally. You know, so it was, it, got, it was very like eye opening and like humbling mm-hmm. very early on. And I think that's like something that 
I kind of still live by like today, like humility and humbleness. Like, you know, I try to tell the guys in the kitchen all the time, like stay, always stay humble, always stay humiliated because you never know. Like there's always somebody out there better than you. Don't ever forget that. There always is somebody out there better than you. Like yeah. I, we talk about it in the kitchen all the time. I was like, I, I joke with them all the time. I was like, I'm the best pasta guy in the country. I'm the best pasta guy on this planet. I was like, I'll crush anybody in pasta. There's this one kid probably in like nowhere, Iowa, that's probably studying more than I am because I'm getting cocky right now instead of, you know, and he probably, you know, crush me in pasta one day. And yeah. I'm like, I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'll pass the torch, you know? So my, you know, my cousin and I, my cousin, my sous chef here, we get at it all the time. He's like, I do this better than you. I'm like, but I taught you. Don't forget that. Mm -hmm. I was like, so it's basically a copy of a copy. So you're never as good as the original. And yeah. like, we just talk shit to each other. All yeah, time, so nah, that's great. <laughs> I love that. But man, so that's a, it's so interesting too. Cause like 14 and a half, 15, that's yeah. a really early yeah, age to start years in the kitchen. In, 20 years in right now. Yeah. I mean, that's a really early age to start in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, are you even allowed to start working at 15? Uh, in Georgia? I, I Probably not. The laws are a lot different yeah. back then. Yeah. I don't really think they cared. Washing dishes is a safe yeah, place whatever, to be, dude. even though it's like the most dangerous yeah, place to be. Yeah, so the funny thing was, is like, like at 16, so I was telling them the other day, the guys in the kitchen, I, was like, I grew up really fast. So like at 14 and a half, 15, I'm working at 16. I'm like having, you know, four or $500 dinners with my bosses drinking, you know, thousand dollar bottles of wine and smoking cigars. Like that was my childhood. Yeah. I'm like, I, and they're like, Oh, how come you don't do that now? I was like, you're cause you don't live that way anymore. And if you smoke a cigar, I won't be able to get up out of bed. It's yeah. like, it's, it's a lot different now, you know? Yeah, totally. So it's pretty funny. Yeah. But, uh, but talk, talk me through your career. Like lead me, lead me through the timeline of how you make your way down here to Atlanta. Yeah. So, um, so from, let's fast forward from washing dishes and Bella Luna in Sanford, Connecticut, got to a point where I was just like, you know, there's gotta be something more, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of always like, it's always in my head. Like it's still in my head now all, every day, you know? And I was like, I gotta be able to do something else. So graduate high school, go to college. I went to Iona college in New Rochelle, New York for like, I think it was like three weeks, man. And like, I just, I was sitting in class and like, I didn't, I didn't write any notes. I just sat around all day and just looked around and I just kept thinking about like going to work at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. It was always, always through my mind. And I'm like, I was like, why can't I not pay attention? I just thought I had like ADD and I'm like, this is out of control. I don't know if I'm ever gonna be able to learn anything. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm sitting there one day and I'm in class and we started talking about food and I realized how like excited I got about food and how unexcited I was about the accounting class I was in. And I'm like, why am I going to college to be an accountant? This doesn't make any sense. Like I was always good with numbers, but like you could kind of use that somewhere else in life. I was like, you know what? I'm done with this. So I like went to the Dean's office, quit, and then drove to Manhattan and applied to French Colonial Institute all in the same like three hours. Whoa. Then drove home and have to break my that news to an Italian family that all they focused on was you have to go to college. Right. So I think that might've been the last time I ever got smacked by my dad. Oh, for wow. sure, I was like ni <laughs> 19 years old and he was like, you gotta be kidding me and like chased me around the house for like 45 minutes until he ran out of breath. I was in shape then. So it was a lot different. <laughs> I could run for hours. <laughs> um, so it was, uh, so yeah, so it was a lot different. So, he goes, all right, well, you need to give me, a, I need to see if a certificate or a diploma. Like, he's like, I won't let you live in this house. And it comes by, like later on, I was like, I didn't really need you to live in your house anyway, but it was nice, you know, to save money while you're there. So he split the difference with me. So it was like six, it was a six month program is $40,000. So I saved a lot of money when I was a kid. So I was like, all right, no problem. I was like all cocky. Here's your $20,000 check. And like, kind of like threw it at my dad and he goes, all right, all right. Mm -hmm. He goes, but listen, he goes, anything I do going forward, I get half of. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, anything you do going forward, I'm a 50% partner. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And, and I signed it off, like not thinking I was ever going to like own my own. I always want to own my own restaurant, but I was like, it's going to be years before I do that. Right. So 
in culinary school. It was, it was, it was different, man. It was weird. I don't think I really learned as much as people think you do. I, I just, I was already cooking for five years or four years, whatever it was. So it was kind of different, man. I was just like, I went in there and I, I was the quiet guy in the corner, just doing my work and then just kind of just did it faster than people and started like really started making pasta there kind of like at school where I was just like, I really want to test this. I want to test that. I started testing braises and everything. And I was the only kid in the French Culinary Institute that was more focused on cooking Italian food. Hmm. And my and the French chefs there hated that. Like, you're not allowed to, like, mention Italy in a French kitchen. It was pretty funny. Because <laughs> I would just go in there and be like, yeah, I was like, the Italians taught you guys everything. I don't know what the hell you're talking right. about. And I would, just, I would just talk so much crap to them. Um, like, to the point, and then I was like, I told you about the, uh, the, uh, the puff pastry. Like, that was me in class. Like, so uh, it wasn't until my last day of school where you have to cook so they give you like three or four dishes you have to cook and you're allowed i believe it was like four or five hours at the end you have to sit in front of a panel and they tell you what you did wrong so it was like basically like cooking now like you know you just put all this food on the table and people criticize you for no reason right um (laughs) so i cooked a quail and i cooked it perfect medium rare and i send it out and i didn't even get through like we like it was it was everybody had to go everybody had to present and at the end everybody walks through i was called out immediately and i come out there and it was jacques papin mario batali anthony bourdain rocco despirito and there was another guy and i forgot what his name was but uh batali goes he goes who taught you how to cook quail and i was like i was like i actually bought your cookbook babo cookbook and he goes you have a job tomorrow at esca he's like you have this this, and this and you'll be there be there at 9 a.m and i was like come on he goes, yeah, he goes, Pasternak will be waiting for you. And I was like, cool. I was like, that sounds fantastic. So, so I finished my, I finished my day and I remember going home and I was like, you know, telling my mom and dad, like how excited I was. I was like, I'm going to work for Mario Batali. They're like, who? <laughs> I'm like, Mario Batali. I was like, the famous chef. They're like, Orange Crocs, yeah, guys. Like, they go, yeah, all right, whatever. They go, what time you got to be at work? And I was like, nine. They go, you better get to sleep. And I was, it was like, it was like <laughs> six. And they're like, you better not be late for your first job. And that was like how my parents were. My parents are never like really, they're never really the proud parents. And like, you kind of like, I don't know, kind of like motivates you to work even harder because right. like you really, cause the day when they do say like they're proud and be like, Oh, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Must feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what it feels like. That's great. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I, and then I worked for Batali at Esca and then like, so while I was at culinary school, I went to school five days a week, every day after school, I interned at another restaurant. So like I interned at Union Pacific for Rocco Despirito, which was funny to see him at the panel. And then I interned at Le Bernardin. So wow. I was, I would do two days a week, two days a week at that point, like Union Pacific was, was probably considered one of the best restaurants in Manhattan. And Le Bernardin was probably the best restaurant in Manhattan at that point. Um, and Esco was like a fifth or sixth in line. Like it was getting really good praise. Um, and then when I went to go work at Esca on my two days off there, I would intern at Le Bernardin and other places. I would intern at Babo, Lupa, and I was just always working. Um, because I don't know, I was, I was always big on, it's weird. Cause I was always big on working for free. I just like, I felt like that's where you kind of got the best, uh, knowledge because sure. you walked in, you were super hungry. And I was just like, I just want to learn, give me everything, you know. And it wasn't until I was interning at Limpero for Scott Conant, where I really started focusing on pasta. Hmm. And I was, I was in this, like, it was so funny. It was definitely not health code compliance by any means. <laughs> it was like this little cutout in this like old, old building. It was a Tudor building. And there was this little cutout and it was like probably four by four in, in size. And this guy had the small table and this guy was banging out on Yolotti like I've never seen before in my life. And I'm just watching this guy do it. And I'm like, can I do it? And I'll do it. And this dude's yelling at me. You're not doing it right. And, you know, talking crap to me in Spanish. 
And he's just like yelling and yelling. And I'm like, all right, all right. And finally like, I got it. And he's like, you just sat there and he went, he just starts a little slow clap. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, great. I got this. I was like, I know how to do this. And he goes, he goes, yeah, that's on your lotti. He's like, all right, let's start working on Oriketi. And then the first time I tried figuring out how to do the Oriketi, it was like, you would think that like somebody killed my dog. I'm like, how the hell do you, how the hell do, you do that? And he's banging them out like a little old grandmother. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't even, I don't even know where to start. So I would just like go home and practice and just make dough and just keep doing it. And that's where I kind of really started like focusing on pasta. But I'm at Eska. Eska was great. Uh, problem with Eska though, is that, uh, you know, I mean, I became a sous chef there and I was a sous chef for like a couple months. And I mean, my sous chef pay was 300 bucks a week. And I was working like 85, 90 hours a week. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like I've been working 85 to 90 hours a week since then. But like, you know, I mean, my rent was a thousand bucks. So I had like $30 left at the end of the month and could just couldn't do anything. Like I, I would beg people for like to buy me a beer. Like it was that crazy. Wow. So I was just like, I don't know. I just can't live like that, man. Like it was just, it was so difficult, like trying to get by. And like, there's no such thing as a raise there, you know, like, cause I remember my first day I talked to my chef and he goes, this is a Mario Battaglia restaurant. You should be happy you're working here. He's like, we don't have to pay you a lot of money. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm fine with that. Like, I didn't, I didn't ask for it anyway. So I'm like, it is what it is. And by I mean, I was there for three, four years. So I'm like, I put wow. my time in and like, I didn't really have to, I don't know. I just felt like I was done and I was kind of done with New York city. It was like, it was, it was a bit much for me, you know? And I was just like, it is what it is like small town in Connecticut. So, uh, and I went back to Connecticut bounced around for a couple of years. It wasn't until I was like 26 or 27. I opened like a small pizzeria. It's like when I kind of like wanted to start messing around with dough a little bit my pizzeria again it was like i think it was like 300 square feet it was like it was takeout it was takeout only it sounds awesome yeah (laughs) it was great and but we had no hood system so like the minute i turned that oven on it was like it literally it was like 150 degrees in there it was so bad we dropped a lot of weight in there i mean my cousin it was good we were probably the thinnest we ever were in our life (laughs) Um, but then we were eating pizza and just put the money and just put the just put the weight back on so it was pretty crazy um we would we couldn't wait for winter months because it was cool in there we leave the door open open the windows yeah man um, and it was doing really well. We opened a second one in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And then I just, I, I feel like I overextended way too fast and Bridgeport closed. And like, I hated that feeling. Like I hated the feeling of failure, like bugged me so bad. And I was just like really down and depressed. And I'm like working at the restaurant at the other one in Norwalk, Connecticut one day. And literally like the roof caved in. It was snowing and the roof, the building was so old. Wow. It was like, and it caved in. And I was like super pissed. I'm like, lock the doors. We're done. Driving home, went the long way, found this little spot, like in like the worst area of Norwalk, Connecticut. And I'm like, I'm calling, called the next day, like an hour and a half later, we signed a lease. You had the keys and we started demolition. And that was Barsugo. And I was 28. Hmm. And then that place was i mean it was my baby right i mean it was a restaurant i always wanted to open it's funny because like there's every restaurant i open is always a restaurant i wanted to open it's pretty funny how it works out <laughs> but barsugo was uh gas-fired pizza a meatball program and pasta homemade pasta and it was fun it was super stressful in the beginning like i mean we had a friday night service where we did eight people you know at a 48 seat restaurant and like you know you can't you can't live on eight diners you know on, on a friday night it was funny so that night actually the eight diners night i got super drunk because i was like so pissed that i felt like i was gonna i was gonna uh lose a restaurant and that's when i asked my wife out for the first time because i was drunk i tell her that to this day i'm like if it wasn't for that mccallan 17 we would never be together she's <laughs> like she's like yeah it's funny because you don't really drink anymore i was like no i don't <laughs> it's pretty funny how it works out um oh my gosh yeah so 
so now my wife and I, we, we well, now my wife, but we were, we started dating. We saw each other for like six months. I proposed. Um, and then after like a year later, we were married. And then a year after that, we we're pregnant, having a kid. But during all that, the restaurant got really busy, really busy. And like, I don't know what happened, but it was like literally like somebody turned the light on and all of a sudden like it was busy. But like two weeks into the restaurant being open, I forgot to pay the electric bill. They shut the electric off. And then two weeks later, I forgot to pay the gas bill. They shut the gas off. I missed one week of payroll with the staff because that's how bad it got and to the point where I just literally just took everything I ever had. I sold it all. I sold my motorcycle. I sold my watch. I sold everything, put all the money back into the account and then paid everybody what they had to get paid. And I was like, I think we're just going to close. And then like we got like a little busier. Maybe we were doing like five extra customers a night and then a little bit busier, 10 extra guests a night. And then all of a sudden, like it just felt like the floodgates open and it was just busy, like lines out the door every single day. It was mm-hmm. just busy and busy and busy and busy. And I was like, Oh my God. And it was to the point where it was just like, can't catch a break. It's too busy now. You know, 48 seats doing, you know, 2 million a year was insane. You know, like doesn't Whoa. happen, you know? And you can't even calculate <clears throat> that volume. No, dude. It was, it was unbelievable. Oh and it was all pizza and pasta yeah. like and meatballs. That's all people wanted. Right. Like if I did like a, you know, if I did something high end, it was just like, you can bring your salmon tartare back, I know, man. I know. Yeah, but even when you put that on a the menu, they're like, what? No. <laughs> but like I, and then I refuse, like I didn't do anything like no cream sauces, nothing like that. All super focused Italian food. And then I have my, I have my son, we get married, everything happens. And then I wake up one day and I was just like, so we won like best restaurant in Connecticut, best chef in Connecticut, best pizza in Connecticut, like behind, well, number two behind Pepe's. And there was like all these awards and I'm sitting there and I'm like, so this is it. Hmm. So this is, this is the end. This is how, this is how my life's going to end. I'm just going to own bar for the rest of my life and nothing else. Cause I kept trying to open new restaurants and it just never worked out ever. Mm-hmm. Like either <clears throat> people would like go, Connecticut was very cutthroat. People would go against you to make sure you didn't open a restaurant three doors down from them. Um, they would like compile like restaurants in the, in the area would like get together and like go to planning and zoning and say, he can't open here. Because we did so well in literally the worst neighborhood in Norwalk, Connecticut, people were like, "No, you can't have them here." Because then we tried to up, like, you know, open another restaurant in a really good area, and they're like, "No, we can't have you here." And then every time I would go somewhere else, like something else would fall through. Like we signed a lease on a restaurant space right across the street from from Bar Sugo, and the landlord was like super shady and never had a um, grease trap installed, so there was no it was not, it wasn't even zoned for a restaurant, so I had to pull out. So it was like everything would always happen. It was just weird. And I'm just like, and there's just weren't enough people in Connecticut either. Like Fairfield County, you know, all of Fairfield County had like 800,000 people or something like that or a million people. It was just nuts. It just wasn't. And that's all of one county, not just the city. So just weren't enough people there. Um, And then I was like, all right, maybe we'll go way up the line, open something in like Mystic, Connecticut or something like that. And like, I don't know what, we'll do an oyster bar. And then we drove up there one day and it's like, there's 50 oyster bars within like five feet of each other. And I'm like, can't do that. And it just got to the point where I'm like, all right, we got to figure something out. We need to move. So I told my wife, I'm like, I think we should move to Italy. I was like, you know, the economy here eventually is going to bust. I was like, and I just feel like, let's just go there. Mm-hmm. We already have a house. We have the land. I was like, we'll open a 10 seat, like Michelin star, high end Italian restaurant. And <laughs> if we do no one, who cares? The, the, the whole land's paid for. So I really yeah. don't care. I was like, if we do two dinners, we're crushing it. Yeah. What year you know? was this? This was uh, 2000. This was 2016, right after I had Colin, right after wow. Colin was born. And, uh, and my wife's like, no, we're not moving to Italy. And I was like, okay. Um, and then he goes, so she, I was like, what about Boston? We were spending a lot of time in Boston. We were driving back and forth and it was like, it was a lot of fun. I was like really, like really getting into that scene of like the Boston food scene. And, and that winter they got 162 inches of snow. 
<laughs> and my wife's like, my wife goes, nope, not going there. So I'm like, where the hell else is there to go? And I'm like, you know what? I was like, so her brother moved to Atlanta. I'm like, let me just go to Atlanta for a couple of days and hang out with John. And let me see. And I was like, and if I like it, we'll go together. <clears throat> She's like, okay. So I came down and he started taking me to all these restaurants. He's like, took me to Miller Union, took me to, uh, where he took me? He took me to the Optimist. He took me to 246. He took me to uh, South City Kitchen, which was like the best fried chicken I ever had. I was like, mm-hmm. this is fantastic. And the waffle was like crack. Mm-hmm. Whatever waffle they served for brunch was like yep. insane. Um, so he took me to all these restaurants. And, and then there was one night where we ate at like seven restaurants in one night. And I was like, couldn't breathe. I was like, all right, Atlanta's pretty cool. And then the thing about Atlanta, though, that kind of really like, it's going to sound really arrogant to me, but not one of the restaurants completely blew me away. So it was like, all right, man, this is maybe a cool city to kind of get involved in and really try to like get together with a lot of cool different chefs and kind of elevate a little bit, you know? So I was like, perfect. Atlanta's the spot. And my wife took my wife down. She fell in love with it instantly. Um, she really fell in love with Inman Park like everybody else does. And we, I was like, I was like, baby, see that house right there? Cool. We'll never own it. Yeah. I was just walking through it. All <laughs> Two point three million yeah, dollars. Yeah, yeah, not gonna happen. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so she really fell in love. We kept coming down. I think we came 2016. We came down like eight times, literally like eight oh, times. Wow. Yeah, we came down a lot, we, as much as possible. The restaurant was doing so well; it was basically running itself. My cousin was running the back of the house. We had this kid Andrew running the front of the house. And then we would be there three, four days a week. And we were just, you know, people would like, you almost became celebrities of your own restaurant. Like people were like, oh, there's Chef Fat. And it was like, it's a cool feeling, you know, but kind of like I was over it already. Like I was just like, whatever, it is what it is. Restaurant's doing great, it's hmm. great. Just send me a check, you know, it is what it is. And you just kind of like, so I came, I came down, uh, I believe it was the middle, it was like the summer. And I was like, you know what, if I'm gonna come to Atlanta, I'm gonna go work for the top dog. It just makes sense. I'm not gonna really open a restaurant yet. I don't think it's time. I need to know like what Atlanta's about before I go and open a restaurant. So <clears throat> I actually reached out to Craig Richards first. Oh, and wow. I'm like, yeah, because, well, I, I kind of did like, I, I, I've Googled Fort Fry and then I Googled his chefs. And I'm like, okay, so Craig Richards actually, like if you watch and you look at Craig Richards' like background, it almost like coincides exactly with mine. Mm-hmm. Like, we were kind of worked for the same people almost, but like in different parts of the country. It yeah. was pretty weird. And we kind of just like in our upbringing was kind of the same, like, well, he was in Nebraska and I was in Connecticut, but we kind of like fell in love with pasta at the same time. So I was like, Hey man, I really want to come work for Fort Fry. And he was just like, cool. And just sends my email over to Kevin Maxey. And I'm like, all right, great. Thanks Craig. And, um, Kevin calls me like two days later and he's like, Hey, when you've been in Atlanta, I was like, I'm actually here right now. And he goes, all right, come meet me at the office. I was like, okay, met him at the office. Like, I mean, the interview was like, I'm not kidding. The interview was like seven hours long. It was, like, it was a massive interview. Like I just kept meeting different, different, different people. And by the end I met, uh, I forgot who the last person I met was, but then they, they bought, they handed me a, a plane ticket to come back to do a demo for them cooking wise. And I'm like, all right, it's pretty cool. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So I ended up doing a cooking demo for them. Like a couple months later, uh, they loved it. They offered me a position to be the chef de cuisine at the Optimus, and I turned it down. I was like, "Listen, man, if I'm going to come down here, I, I'm not, I'm not working for anybody else other than like straight underneath Four Fry. I'm like, I'm not working for somebody else." I was like, "Google me." It's basically, I think, what I said to to the chefs there. I'm like, "I don't think you really want me working under somebody else." And they're like, "Well, sorry, we can't offer you anymore." And I was like, "Okay, cool, whatever." And then I believe like a couple months went by, and I get a phone call, and they're like, "Hey, we fired our chef." you still interested? And I was like, yeah, give me till January 2nd. And I was like, we'll move down. And, um, January 2nd, um, we moved down. I drove down. My wife flew with, with Colin and, 
and it was cool. It was a really interesting year that I spent there at the Optimist. Because I can, I can kind of like already get an idea of like how this story goes. I guess just after like knowing enough of your background yeah. now, because you are in Connecticut thinking about where you're going to move, you get an opportunity to come down to the Optimist. Yep. I mean, well, uh, all right. So real quick, so Ford and I met last. Oh, okay. Before I came down, mm-hmm. and he goes, "Which restaurant do you want?" Hmm. And I was like, "It." I was like, "So I get a choice?" And he goes, "Yeah, you have a choice." And I was like the optimist and he goes why i was like it's the only one i didn't like he goes are you serious i was like yeah i was like i hated everything about the restaurant and he goes well you're not changing the decor and i was like no it wasn't i was like it was the feel food was weird it was like it just didn't make any sense to me i was like you know i was like the octopus supposed to taste like an octopus had 75 pounds of sauce on it. it didn't make any sense and he goes you do realize it's our highest grossing restaurant i was like yeah i really don't care i was like i'll take that one and he goes all right it's yours i was like all right cool and it was really funny, man, because I was like, I was there for like a week and like everybody was so nervous. They're like, oh, my gosh, this restaurant's so busy. There's so many people. Oh, my God. I'm like, guys, it's really not that difficult. And like I was known for taming the beast because they go all that restaurant, the beast. And it took me like three weeks. You just hire the right people and put them in the right place. It's not mm-hmm. that difficult. I was like, we hire, we need new sous chefs. Yeah. Fire your sous chefs. Let's get new ones. You need new people here. Let's get new ones. It wasn't that hard, mm. you know, and then it was like instant, like. Six weeks in, six weeks in, and I was bored out of my mind. Well, and that's what I was saying. Like, I can kind of get an idea of how this goes because yeah. you say January second, and I imagine that's twenty seventeen. Yeah. So you're there for about a right at yeah, a year, almost a year. I left in like the last week of November. Okay. So yeah. you, <laughs> so I can only imagine at some point you're like, I gotta open my own place. Yeah. I it was gotta, the I itch was get there. there. Yeah. Yeah. So, the itch was there for a while. So sure. where where in this year of working at the Optimist? Um, and I don't think I actually ever went to the Optimist while you were yeah, there. I, don't know. I mean, the last time I was seriously like that, I sat down at the Optimist. It was probably in 2016 so yeah. it's been a while for me yeah. since i've been there um and uh even like sitting with ford and like having him on my show I'm yeah. like, like it's been a long time since <laughs> i've been there but um but i can only imagine that you've got the idea for the white bull while you're like working service so yeah. what, what was that like so it, it was so a lot happened in that year man like uh you know i, I we, we moved here i wasn't really um I don't know, like the Optimus was weird. I couldn't put certain things on the menu because it didn't work. And I was just kind of like getting a little frustrated with like the creative side of it, you know, where I was like, you can't really put these dishes on. You can't put these dishes on. And then there was just so much staff. You're training like five different people how to do one dish. And it just got really frustrating, you know, like mm. here it's different. Like here I trained two people how to do one dish and nobody else works at station with those two. So it was, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so it got to the point where I was just like, man, I really want to do this restaurant where it's like just using Georgia ingredients. Cause like, as I was working there, I'm like, man, Georgia's got some really good stuff. Like the tomatoes, forget it. The peaches you, you like is insane. Even like down to like the shishito peppers or like pork belly, like things like that. Like yeah, dude. anthropology here, like asabwa, mm-hmm. like the first time I tasted asabwa, like, I was like, you're yeah. kidding me. Yep. You know what I mean? So I was like, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. And right when I made that decision, they offered me the position to be basically to be like the lead chef for all the optimists because they planned on opening more. So I was like, Oh my God. I was like, what am I going to do? So they sent me to Nashville. They like, here, you need to go here. You need to go there. You need to do that. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. And then I just have a conversation with my wife and I'm like, babe, what's up? And she's like, she's like, I don't know if I want to move every six months to a year and go and do all this and that. She's like, what about like, you know, what about my career? And like, what about like the kids? And I'm like, yeah, I was like, I guess you're right. I was like, you know, I was like, let me, I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm just going to, continue to hear what they say because maybe something else is gonna come up or something like that and i might want to go somewhere else with the company i was like but uh you know i don't know we'll see 
And it wasn't until I was actually at an event in Nashville, I get a phone call to come check out this restaurant. And I was like, I was like, no, I was like, I'm good. I was like, I think I'm going to stay here. And he's like, I really think you should come look at this restaurant. And I was like, okay, cool. So I walk in here and literally I step foot in here and I was like, give me a lease, give me a lease quickly. I was like, cause I kind of just need to break the news to the, to the guys. And it happened like it took a couple months. It took like two or three months for me to actually get the final like lease in hand and sign. And I walk in, give them the news. They weren't happy about it. So I was like, all right, it is what it is. But, you know, I mean, I, I spoke to Ford. I was like a week or two ago. Congratulated on my little Ray. Congratulated him on the book. So we're 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 definitely on good terms, which is good. That's so, good, man. Yeah. That's Ford's good. a good dude. And I mean, what that guy's done for this city food wise, I think. Yeah. You know, between him and Anne, the like the original three, it's been pretty impressive. So. Yeah. Well, and even like sitting with him, you know, and uh, as I'm, you know, finishing editing his episode, I'm sitting with my wife, you know, who's kind of like the other, you know, the other appendage of the Atlanta food cast. And we kick around just, you know, like knowing so much of dining, living here for the past like six or seven years. Yeah. You know, it's like if we're, if we're both like being honest, um, you know, this guy has really mapped out a lot of what it means to be an eater in Atlanta. I mean, because I mean, it's not pandering. It's like at some point you will grace the threshold of one of his restaurants within either a matter of weeks or whether it takes you a few years, but like you're going to end up dining in one of his restaurants because of whatever, you know, someone's going to take you there, some other circumstance. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I'd I'd say it's, it's pretty prolific work, you know, in in terms of, of Atlanta dining for sure. Um, so I, uh, I think we, we covered like a lot of like, what's your, what, what's your interest. And I imagine like what kind of personality type you are, but just with like that level of interest meets like, I guess, impatience, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so you get to the point, like, you got a, yeah, you got a lease yeah. here. Yeah. So, um, you know, Hemingway aside, you got the white bull. Like, yeah. what did you want to do? Like, what was it that you wanted to like set out to like show people through Decatur? So that's, so that's, that was like the thing. So like my whole life I've been battling against not cooking Italian food. Don't know why. I was like, it, it was funny. Like I was telling somebody this the other day. I was like, I was like, it was almost like I was embarrassed of my heritage for a little mm-hmm. while because, so I grew up like, I grew up, I only spoke Italian until I was seven. That's all oh. I spoke. Yeah. I didn't speak anything else. My grandparents raised me and all my grandparents spoke was Italian, but I knew how to count in English to like a thousand. I could, I could, I could name the letters. I just couldn't read it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until I was like seven, seven and a half, something like that, where I actually started speaking English correctly. And still to this day, my grammar's horrendous, but it is what it is. I don't need it. <laughs> I'll just somebody else write my menu. Um, but, uh, or I'll just hand it to Valerie. Valerie, write this morning. <laughs> this is really bad. Um, but it's like, yeah, I mean, so, you know, think of, I mean, you're, you're, you're seven. You're being made fun of for three years now because all you speak is Italian. Now you go to seven to 14 and my parents are Italian and all they'd want to do is speak Italian in public. So you're like, come on, mom, like the hell are you doing? Speak English. And she's like, no, she's like, I don't care what they have to say. I was like, I do though. Like I'm in school. Like, you know, and then like people make it fun of you. Cause like, you know, your parents are speaking a weird language and stuff like that. So I was like, it was weird, man. I was like super embarrassed of my heritage. Hmm. And it really wasn't, it was so funny. Cause it wasn't until like, I feel like really proud of being Italian until like Goodfellas came out. Where I was like, this is fantastic, man. Look at this. Guineas are cool, you know? It was, it was great. Oh, my um, God. And look then, like, Joe Pesci, Yeah, man. look at like Pesci, dude. Yeah. He's crushing it. Look cool, at him. dude. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and, and, then, and then, like, and then again, like, working in restaurants and, like, you know, seeing, like, people are calling Italian food chicken parm or calling it, like, Italian food penne alla vodka. And I was just, like, I got embarrassed of it. I was, like, it's not Italian food. And I always aimed towards finer dining. 
you know, and I think that's one of the main reasons why I also left Barsugo and left Norwalk, Connecticut was that I knew I could do more than just pizza and pasta. And I knew I could do it. I knew I could do it well and I could do it better. And when I moved here, I was like, I'm going to just reinvent myself period altogether and be a fine dining chef. And I opened white bull and I'm, I'm opening a restaurant and I'm like, I think we're gonna do pasta. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean you're gonna do pasta? I was like, yeah, I think we're gonna do pasta. And they're like, why? And I was like, I don't know, man. I just have a feeling we need to do pasta here. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay. So I was like, we're going to do it different. We're going to do it different. Than anybody else. I was like, we're going to buy whole grain. We're going to mill it ourselves. I was like, and we're going to really create a different pasta. And I was like, it's going to be, it's going to be super chewy. It's going to have flavor on its own where it's not just like a blank canvas, like the white bull. It's not going to be that blank canvas. It's actually going to have flavor on its own. And, and we didn't actually have the name for the white bull until after we signed the lease. And so as I'm like creating the pasta side of it, I'm like, all right, it's cool. I was like, but I also think we should put a taco on like every once in a while if we felt like it. I was like, and, and at that point of my, like right there in March of, or whatever it was December, I was like, I'm, I was super into like Lebanese cuisine and like Middle Eastern food. And I'm like, I was like, I can't name this restaurant an Italian name. Cause I'll get laughed out of the city. If I throw, if I decide I want to put a shawarma on, you know? So I'm like, so I started doing, I was like, man, I really like, I really like Hemingway. And like, cause me and my, um, uh, one of the minor minuscule partners here, uh, he handles all of our branding and marketing. He's like, he's like, dude, I think you should look into like something that has to do with Hemingway. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's look into it. And then like two days later, he sends me a text message. He goes the white bull. And I was like, the hell are you talking about? And he goes, the white bull. And I was like, dude, I don't know what the hell that means. And he goes, look, and he sends me the article. And I was like, oh man, that's our restaurant. I was like, it's the white bull. It's like, it's a blank piece of paper. I was like, it's whatever I want it to be or whenever I want it to be. Because the reason why I did that was because, like I said, I didn't want to be judged if I put a taco on, you know, because I'm telling you it's going to be the best taco you ever had in your life. But I also wanted to make sure that I wasn't like, Oh, this restaurant doesn't know what it wants to be, you know, because the, mm-hmm. the, the minute you put it into a critic's hands, that's all. They just want to ridicule you anyway. So it sure. is what it is. So I was just like, all right, we're going to name it this, this, but we are going to focus on pasta. Yeah. And we got some pretty big heat in the beginning because our pasta was like light brown in color. And I was like, yeah, man. And it's funny, too, because like people sometimes can't get out of their own way if you actually do your homework on it. Like one of the original grains used in pasta was actually something pretty similar to farro. So it was that color anyway. Right. You know, it wasn't until we decided we wanted to bleach everything in this country where exactly. <laughs> where it color, you know, you know? like yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, <laughs> so it turning yellow color. color. turning yellow in color. Yeah. Like rice. Yeah. 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 You know, you, it's funny cause like you put white bull on your resume and you pretty much get a job anywhere in the city, which mm-hmm. is pretty impressive to yeah. happen in 15 months. I was going to say like, so. you know, learning, learning pasta is, um, th- that's gotta be a pretty sought after skill yeah. for a lot of people like of, Hey, like I'm coming here to work, but like, I mean, is that, is that normal oh, yeah. for you? Like you get a lot of people like, Hey, I really want to work at this restaurant, but I really want to learn pasta. Yeah. I really want to learn how to make pasta. Yeah. There was milling your flour, especially like yeah. that is, that is not the norm. No, we were getting, I mean, I was getting emails and text messages from other restaurants in the city saying, Hey, heard you know how to make pasta. Do you mind training some of our staff? And I was like, yeah, of course I don't mind doing it at all. And then there was like, other Here's the invoice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was like, and then, and then it was, it was funny. Cause then you had some of them like super sneaky. Like there were some restaurants opening and they would send like one of their employees here to like stage right and i'm like 
dude, I know who you work for. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, you're not stodging here. <laughs> yeah. And like, you could just come and work here. I was like, why don't you come work for like three or four weeks and I'll give you back. Like, it is what it is. But it was pretty funny. I was just like, dude, I'll teach anybody for free. Mm-hmm. 90% of the time you ain't going to do it anyway because Americans are lazy by trade. Yeah. So it's like, well, they're not going to do it. So, I mean, just like talking about like making pasta, like it is not... I don't think there's not like a, a really great way to fast track really well made no, from scratch pasta. No, because now it comes to the point where like it's like me and like Ramsey is our pasta guy back there now. But like him and I like we'll touch a dough and know if it's too wet or too dry or if it needs something else. Like we're 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 testing all of the pasta recipes. So for here, we use one dough. One dough makes everything for grana. We're actually going to use three to four different types of doughs. Um, where we're actually going to be more, um, the pasta program there is going to be really intense, like super intense to the point where it's probably going to be annoying for Ramsey and he's probably going to want to kill me halfway through. Um, but like, you know, we're, we're designing two different egg doughs, one strictly for stuffed, one strictly for long, but that long will also like our pappardelle would have a different dough and it's all, we're testing all these different things. Um, but it's fun. Like, like both of our eyes light up when we start talking about this stuff, which Mm -hmm. is fun. And like. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, I'm very obsessive when it comes to certain things. I was like, I'm, I'm obsessed with my wife. I'm obsessed with my kids and I'm obsessed with dough dough. Like in, it just, I'm obsessed with it. Cause somebody, oh, cause somebody said, Oh, why don't you open a taco restaurant? Cause every time we do our taco pop up, we just crush it. And I'm like, I don't think I have any more mental capacity to focus on corn right now. I was like, I need to focus on dough and, and everything else that I'm focused on, but I don't think I have any more actual mental capacity left up there yeah to physically or emotionally dedicate any more time to mm-hmm. it's impossible and uh because it's just and and i mean you asked my cousin like when we when we start talking about like pasta and like shapes and and just even like testing new things he's like dude i've never seen you light up as much as when you light up about that and i was like yeah i was like it's fun man i'm like you know it's it's a science you know we start testing our pizza dough for grana and realized that our pizza dough tastes different in 75 degree weather as it does in 90 degree weather. So we had to change all of our recipes. Yeah. And I was like, that's fun, man. And he's like, dude, it's annoying. I'm like, dude, that's fun. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you, you like think about it, that the weather is changing our dough. Yeah. Like yeah. that's insane. So if you're making sourdough, like naturally yeah. leavened, like if you're working with 75 degrees, if you're working with 71 degrees, like yeah. you've got a different product oh, yeah. at the end. So my, my, my cousin's outtake was, all right, dude, I think you should just invest a million dollars and then just temperature control the dough room. I was like, do you have the million I can borrow? <laughs> he's like no fine we'll do it this we'll do it your way yeah. i was like of course we are so it's it's really interesting you know to hear the story about your 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 opening and working through barsugo mm-hmm. and that to me like there's a lot of like hearkening back to like what you're gonna do with grana yeah so so funny is it was it was about a year ago when i'm standing back back there we're making pasta and i look at my cousin and i'm like dude, we're really good at this. Like really good at Italian, like really, really good at Italian. So we started like messing around with like, so we, we both miss our moms, you know, like really badly. Like, and we don't just, we just don't get to see them enough. Mm-hmm. We miss that style, like, you know, long stews and long braises and like just a, a quick, like red wine vinaigrette on your tomatoes. Like we yeah. miss that like eating, you know? Right. So we're like, dude, we should open a restaurant dedicated to like, Bronx Italian meets Southern Italy. And he's like, 
dude, I think that's a great idea. And I was like, and we should bring Barsugo's pizza, but throw it in a wood fired oven. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. I was like, and we should do our meatball program because our meatball, we did a meatball tasting and every table had one. It was insane. So you have six different types of meatballs with six different types of toppings. And it was just, it was, it's mind blowing. Nice. It's fun. Yeah. Um, the hardest part is when the server goes over and tries to explain each meatball, it's always the best. Mm-hmm. We have them carry around cheese sheets. It's funny. Yeah. Actually Ryan, <laughs> and I'm going to put him on blast here, but he's not here, but Ryan, which is going to be an AGM there is the only person that ever dropped an entire meatball tasting at Barsugo. Like on the floor. Oh, ever. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And he that. would always forget what was what. And now we're going back to that and he has to know. That's it's going to so drive funny. him. It's going to drive him crazy. That's going to be really fun though, man. Like yeah, uh, to absolutely. me, you know, like, I, I think there's, there's really good pizza in Atlanta mm-hmm. now. I mean, I think that it's, it's definitely changed. Like I've, I've watched it change quite a bit over the past, you know, six or seven years. Um, but I think the things that you guys are talking about doing with Grana, you know, and especially, you know, I, I do like the kind of, you know, blank page, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of what you guys do here at the white bowl. And I think the anchor point is definitely pasta. I think yeah. a lot of people would attribute like white bowl is like Pat knows pasta. Yeah. And, uh, but what you guys are going to be doing at Grana, that's a little bit more like, Hey, let's throw some different paint on the wall. Yeah. It's going to cool. be, yeah, it's definitely going to be a lot different. So like for there, like we're going to put a lot of emphasis on cheese, a lot of emphasis on the meatballs and then a ton on anything that has to do with dough. So like you're going to yeah. walk in, you're going to have two different options of bread, um, like a focaccia and then like, an, so that's what I mean by like mixing the two. Like you're going to have like a really badass like Puglia based focaccia, but then you're going to get your garlic bread with melted mozzarella and a side of tomato sauce. Yeah. So it's going to be like really cool where you get, but it's going to be like piled high on a plate, super obnoxious, yeah. you know, totally. a lot of grana is going to be a lot of hands-on like where either, uh, me or my sous chefs or even one of the line cooks or even a, a manager or something like that comes out and finishes some dishes at the table. Like one of the dishes, is a whole roasted octopus and it gets finished wow. at the table. Like where we just throw a bunch of herbs on it, a ton of olive oil and just squeeze two lemons, walk away type of thing. So like things Figure like that. Out. Yeah. Uh, the polenta party that we do here is yeah. going to go there. We, we designed the polenta party for Grana and it just took off so well here. We're yeah. just like, let's just do it at both. We're working on a dessert one right now. That's pretty intense. We did one for the first time, uh, about a week ago and it was pretty intense. So nice. we're, we're going to keep introducing new things. And then, I mean, the pasta there and the pizza are obviously going to take the forefront because it's just, we're putting a lot of time and effort. I mean, we, we took, we just started putting a gluten-free pasta on our menu here. Yeah, I read about that. And uh, it took four years to develop, me and my cousin. Hmm. Um, we just kept testing it. And like, we actually really funny is we kept testing it on my dad. Hmm. I was like, how was this? He goes, what the hell is that? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's not pasta. I was like, okay. And we just kept going back to the drawing board. And it wasn't until we got here where I don't know what it was. It probably had to do with the humidity. But like, it just started tasting better. And then we started adding a few more ingredients in there. So the last ingredient we added was xanthan gum. And mm. I was like, that makes sense. The chew. It's the trick, so we man. go, we threw the xanthan gum in there. And then my father comes in for dinner. He came in to like check out the restaurant like a couple months after we opened. And he goes, oh, I just want uh, spaghetti with tomato sauce. I'm like, we don't have that. He goes, come on, you have tomato, you have the spaghetti, make it. And it's, I'm like, all right, fine. I'll make it. I'll make it. So I make it for him. And I go, how was it? He goes, oh my God, it was so good. I was like, yeah. And he's like, what's up? He goes, what? I was like, it wasn't pasta. And he goes, what are you talking about? I was like that was chickpeas. And he goes, ah, whatever. It was good. I was like, all right, it was good. We <laughs> nice. won. Yeah. So, so man, four great. years, almost to the day, which yeah. is pretty funny. And, uh, we're going to bring that there and we're actually going to put it on the menu and just say chickpea barbadella and not tell anybody it's going free. Yeah. Cause I just want to, I'm curious on like how people react to it, you know? Yeah. Now, granted, 
five pounds of chickpea flour is like triple the cost of 50 pounds of regular flour. Yeah. I can only but imagine it how it it's made, man. Yeah. Like that's uh, chickpeas are just dense and like they're yeah. a pain in the ass to work with. Yeah. So no, like props to you guys for like working with it, man. <laughs> yeah, but, man. um, but dude, you have, um, an incredible story. And I already have like two ideas because I want to like do another episode with you where we talk about like the, uh, somehow weird food network version of chopped and you walk out of, you know, the last thing that you're doing at, you know, French, uh, French culinary Institute. Yeah. And then I want to do another episode where we just talk about pasta, milling yeah. flour, you know, I mean, uh, just as, as a baker, like I've milled a lot of my own flour and in, in my life and like, eh, it's, um, it's a different, it's oh, a yeah. different thing. So I, th- there's a lot more that, that I want to, you know, catch up with you, but you guys have done an incredible amount of work here in 16 months yeah. and getting ready to open another spot. I mean, and which is Stressful. great. I mean, I, th- I think you guys have, you guys have done a really great thing by choosing an, another part of Atlanta. I mean, you talk about little Ray. I mean like yeah. the whole Piedmont Heights thing is about to, th- there's a lot that's about to blow up and I think it's going to change people's perspective on like, yeah, it's not just a bunch of like really weird strip clubs anymore. Yeah, man, we were, we were hanging out there. We were hanging out there. Uh, like I go, I go at least three times a week and just like walk through around there. Um, I thought you were like, going to say we go like, no, at least, yeah, least three, three, times, a week, three yeah. times a week. It's yep. fantastic. Yep. Don't tell me why. <laughs> um, but we were, uh, we were, we were there and like, we're walking around the neighborhood and then we even stayed like pretty late one night. Like we, we have access to the roof already. So like we were up there like eight o'clock, like really seeing like, you'd be surprised. Like the, the guests we're going to get are very, so you're going to have, you're going to have a really good mix of like a really in, intense area of that city. Cause it's totally. like, Morningside meets a lower buckhead with a little yep. bit of this extra funk on this side. So totally. it's going to be, and, yeah. and, and now, you, and I mean, I, I love the word hipsters. I think it's the funniest thing ever, but now you're getting some of those living there and I'm yep. like, oh, this is really cool. They're like, oh, we can afford these townhouses. Yeah, this is great. great. Yeah. You guys are going to get like cool East siders who live in Morningside or yeah. like right outside of Midtown who are going to, you know, or like, you know, this would be me and my wife. We're going to push our stroller with our kids in there yeah, and yeah. Uh, we're going to get a lot of like good South Buckhead Bettys yeah. who are just like stoked about pasta. Yeah. And veggies because uh, we're yeah. doing a really big vegetable yeah. section of it. So it's going to be really cool, man. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. But, um, dude, thank you for sharing your story. Of Thanks for, for thank I you. mean, your, your background's intense, man. Yeah. But, it was and, crazy. and I think just in, you know, the past, you know, I mean, coming up on four years or well, yeah, I mean, I guess a little more than like, you know, like two and a half, like coming up on three years. Um, you've done a lot to, to add a lot to what it means to be a diner. Like you're, you're kind of like putting your own stamp on a lot of yeah. things that Atlanta just didn't have before. And I've got this like, uh, Valerie knows she's sitting over here. You've done this a lot, Valerie. You've done this a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's singing your praises, but, uh. um, but I've got this like dopey thing here on the podcast where I say, you know, these are the people who make Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. And so much of, of what I've discovered is, you know, there's a lot of people who are from here. They stuck around, they come from other places. They're doing amazing things. They're, they're from Georgia, whatever. But, um, like your story as, you know, a true outsider from the mm-hmm. South and you bring something that we just didn't have, yeah. that's a major stamp on what makes Atlanta such an amazing, diverse I agree city with that that, 100%. and yeah. we treat food as a major source of entertainment. 100%. And there's, you know? and, and the one thing that like is really, really like amazing and intense, it's going to be a very intense five years in Atlanta. I feel like there's a lot of sous chefs, chef de cuisines, mm-hmm. or just people that are doing pop-ups are about to explode that's really going to change the scene is you're going to see a lot more. I think you're going to see smaller, more focused restaurants yep. and you're definitely going to see, there's going to be my, I mean, I tell everybody all the time, I think pasta is making a huge comeback and I think vegetables are going to take first flight on everything. Um, and I think it has to, man. I think 
what's happening in this world when it comes to just beef and 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 meat and like my wife works for coca-cola and has to like put her head down when she's walking through the city because of everything that just happened with fair life Mm. where like they're abusing their animals and i'm like oh my god i'm like so i'm like i tell everybody at the time i was like eat less meat i was like eat more vegetables i was like what you could do with a carrot you'd be very surprised yeah you know and then at grana i mean we're gonna throw it in the oven in the wood-fired oven and blister the crap out of them and just serve it with like some yogurt i mean i'm I'm amped up about carrots. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, I'm, like I'm down with it, dude. You <laughs> know, I'm looking forward to it, but man, uh, I'm looking forward to, to everything that's coming up, but yeah, seriously, we've got a lot more to sit down and talk yeah, about. So we'll sure. do that in the near future. Let's but Pat Pascarella, thanks for joining me, Thank man. You, this man. was awesome. And thanks for sharing your story and yeah. See you here at the white bowl and ground pretty soon. Yeah. Thanks Thank brother. You. So there you have it. Didn't I tell you Pat's story is one for the books? It it was just so fun sitting with him and literally having my jaw hang and hearing parts of his story. And that part about his final presentation in culinary school? I mean, come on. And anyways, if uh, you haven't checked out the White Bowl, get to Decatur and get anything on the menu. It's delightful. And also keep an eye out for more news on Grana. That place is really going to be something. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry. <laughs>